0: This is Dance On Air, the podcast, and I'm your host, Jordan McHenry, and I am so excited to be here with Emily Molnar, the Artistic Director of Ballet BC. Hi, Emily.
1: Hi, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much. We are here at Jacob's Pillow. I'm so thankful we were able to curate this opportunity. I want to start with some really easy questions. You probably interviewed all the time and asked about your work and sometimes i think it's important to know other aspects of a person before we just dive into the work and so i'm going to start with some silly stuff are you a cat person or a dog person
1: oh my goodness i'm a i'm an all person (laughs) to be honest because i've been a bit of a gypsy all my life i've not been able to kind of entertain i left home when i was 10 so i have the idea of having a pet and then because i travel so much it's not been something that I've had the pleasure of, but a lot of people around me have a, a cat or a dog, <laughs> so I feel like I've benefited from that. But uh, I don't think I can say either at this point. I think I'm an animal lover. Are you a morning
0: person or a late-night person?
1: Oh, see, I'm, I, I think I'm going to be difficult for you, Jordan, because I, I have the pleasure of loving both of those ends of the day, and I do kind of push both of them, but I'd say that I'd probably... Go more. I, I love getting up early and having coffee and doing, starting work and starting thinking and, and just experiencing that kind of early morning sensation. But also late at night, there's a lot of really great things that stir around. So I I enjoy both ends of the day, I have to say.
0: If you were stuck on an island and you could only bring one book with you, can you I, identify a book?
1: That's a... Ooh. You're asking me things that because you're asking me to bring it down where I have so many curiosities.
0: And it changes day to day. It does. I feel you know, like my mind changes every day. Yeah,
1: I think it changes every day. I mean, because then I'd want to grab something that really would just be examining, you know, the philosophy of living. And I think I would be difficult about the book on the island because I think I would... I think I would just try to live on that island if I, you know, and just kind of examine and start writing, start writing a book.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure you'd write a book about it. If you had to choose between being smart but sad or stupid and happy for the rest of your life, what would you choose? <laughs> I feel
1: like I belong to both of those things sometimes. So I feel like there's such a beauty to know to examine the depths of what it really means to be alive. And I think that's part of what wakes me up in the morning is that to find out the potential of what we're capable of and the beauty of humanity and what we've created and what we can create. So to not be able to kind of even touch on looking at that, I think would be such a, a sad thing. So, But I also think it's there is something to be said about just um, that innocence of just kind of just living day to day and enjoying the simple things in life. But I also think that takes a certain amount of depth of maturity to be able to also live very simply and to understand the, the, um, the to appreciate the joy of that. So, No yeah.
0: doubt. I've asked this question before and it caused a lot of stir, but I think it's not meant to probe so mm-hmm. much, but would you choose a long life alone mm-hmm. or a short life with somebody else?
1: You know, and I again, I think I'm going to be a, a, a difficult interview for you in this sense because I, I don't, again, the, the, the either or is a hard thing for me because you're getting to know my personality very quickly. I'm a, <laughs> a bit of a diplomat that way. Um, I like to see both sides of things and then, you know, and try not to draw conclusions. I think but, a good
0: leader has to see both sides. Well, thank
1: you for acknowledging that, George. I spent many years, so I left home when I was 10 and I felt pretty much like I was raising you know, myself at that point, not because I didn't have a great family, but just because by the nature of you know, living in a residence and being yeah. you know, thousands of miles away. And so I was very solitary most of my life. That was what I chose. I felt I, I, I renewed. I was a, I'm very much an introvert that way. But I've had the pleasure of experiencing life with my husband um, for 16 years. And we have this very kind of auspicious meeting. That's a longer story. But getting to, you know, I think about Real K when he said, you know, we have barely enough of a lifetime to know who we are. And even less to know who we are with someone else and I think if if you're a person that's been given the gift of Sharing that life with someone it is one of the most beautiful things when there is love that is binding you together as opposed to Responsibility or you know whatever it is, but I have the pleasure of having a very deep love for my husband And that has been one of the most important things that have ever happened to me as well as my love for my art and and so I, to imagine not having had that experience yeah I would say that would be that would be hard I think I'd um, I'd have to go with the second
0: without trying to excavate too deeply how do you balance the love for mm. the husband and the love for the art
1: well the the beautiful thing about my my partner con um, is that he's there is a certain he allows me we don't it's it's not a relationship that's based on codependence in the, in the way that you know, we, we both live very much our, and appreciate each other's lives and what we're trying to do. And he's an incredible support behind, and believes in the arts, but also gives me a lot of space. So we're able to kind of grow together and also alongside each other and not necessi- and, and and move, you know, support each other. Exactly, in tandem. And I think that's, that's the most you can hope for. And it's not about being easy. I don't think anything in life is about that. It's about how we negotiate and how we enjoy that challenge or enjoy... The questions that come up so it's been we've been able to be together and i've been able to balance it because he is so there is a certain maturity and we also met at a, a later stage in our lives he would he was in his 40s he had already had two kids um, and had been married and separated and i um, was in my 30s and so i had already you know kind of roamed around and met people and enjoyed um, kind of the idea of being with someone, but it was really when I met Khan that I, I was able, and I was ready to go deeper with somebody.
0: So. Incredible. Yeah. What are you watching on Netflix?
1: Oh, well, Netflix is just a fascinating thing to work. With. <laughs> I mean, you can get it's a bit of a vacuum sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you know, I, I'm a, I love you know, anything that has to do with like espionage or crime. Like, I'm just totally into that. But I think um, I also love a lot of documentary it, so I, I get also very involved in TED Talks and things like yeah. that too. So. If you had the opportunity to
0: pursue any other job other than mm. the, the incredible career you've already had, mm. what would it be?
1: I think if I look at what has kind of been question marks or questions for me throughout my my time of um, being on this earth so far is that I, I really love under kind of looking at what makes people tick. And when I was... Uh, leaving f- um, considering leaving Frankfurt Ballet when I was about 26, I was at a point in my life where I was really questioning whether or not I was offering enough to the world through my dance. I felt a bit limited in that I just didn't feel like I was making a big enough difference. And I thought, okay, the answer is I need to quit dancing, and I need to study anthropology. I also was very curious about psychotherapy and and you know many different extensions of you know human potential and you know how we how we join, how we develop our our sense of selves. And I just something in me said, no, you're not. You can't you can't exit. And um, and so I took my questions and I put them more into my profession as opposed to walking away. But I think that there are. I mean, I love. Architecture, I could see myself um, studying architecture, studying anthropology, doing a variety of things. But I think I'd still be asking some of the same questions that I am right now within my work um, inside of those professions, I think. I think that's a
0: quality that's very specific to dancers and dance creators, is Mm -hmm. that they have such a multiplicity of interests Mm -hmm. that it kind of finds a location in the art form. Mm -hmm the physical aspects, but the psychological and um, social and all of these things.
1: Absolutely. I mean, being an artistic director, I mean, I think I knew from a very young age, around 12, that I think now looking back on my life, I guess you can't. it's only in retrospect that you can kind of put those dots together. But I really was always fascinated about how we organized ourselves, you know, how we ran things, how we motivated people, how we were yeah, collecting ourselves and how we were developing. And I think I wanted, to stu- I wanted to think about being an artistic director, but I had no idea for many years how that was ever going to happen. But I think it was back to your, your, your comment about the psychology. Being a director, and nobody told me how much the job would require that type of empathetic, if you, if you choose to look at leadership that way. Of the vulnerability and the courage it takes to develop help support and develop artists and the people around the art making so every single i mean one of the first things i looked at with ballet bc is if we are a collaborative process in the making of the dance why is that not by extension everywhere in the organization so i was really looking at just cultural uh, kind of health, you know how are we how are we coming together in all areas of the company, all the way up into the institutional board. institutional, you know, um, uh, well being and and that I think is my biggest curiosity right now is you know just how you try to create those conversations how you how you what is really communication I mean what is collaboration we throw that word around just like we throw innovation and contemporary and to the point where I think you know what we have to go past that and kind of go, what does it mean? I mean, when people say, you know, innovation, it's, is there anything new? And is that even something to strive for? I really, it's like a question I've had all my life, which I think if any of us are really looking deeply, we will say, we'll ask ourselves, you know, what is success to us? And I knew at a very young age that it wasn't about money and the picket fence and the house and the, the, you know, the, the legacy of children. And those are all amazing, amazing things. And I applaud and admire so many people that are able to create that for themselves, that sense of abundance. But essentially, there was something striking in me, which is it's about how we look at ourselves in that mirror first, and if we can, first of all, and then second of all, then what we do with that person once we are, have accepted who we are. What do we? How do we then go forward, forward in life and offer that to the world and and try to be present, to be a citizen, to be responsible. Uh, to participate and so dance has been a, an incredible career to just examine that in but I think that's my biggest question mark is just to really fully, fully live life first and help other people with the things that they want. Yeah.
0: Um, there's, there's a question there about institutional health and mm-hmm. about the direction of the institution mm-hmm. but before I get there we talk about you, you mentioned about looking at yourself in the mirror mm-hmm. and accepting yourself mm-hmm. And so many dancers out there, I think there is an element of, I would call it, toxic dance school culture, mm. right? Or just the being in front of a mirror every day can cause these neuroses or psychoses about how we see ourselves. And sometimes I think we break down those psychoses by acknowledging the things about ourselves that we're insecure with, yeah. to a certain extent, or of um, being a slightly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Is there something in your childhood or education as a dancer that you look back on now and think, how silly was it for me to focus on something like that?
1: That's an interesting question. I think, first of all, when you were saying vulnerability, I think it's a strength to be vulnerable. And so one of the, I think, the things around institutional or um, organizational kind of health and well-being is to allow, to support an environment where people can be vulnerable and that that is a trusted and encouraged environment. So that takes maturity, leadership, of uh, uh, maturity of leadership to have, to be able to hold that space. I think, I really do believe, Jordan, that life gives us stepping stones. And so anything that may have been very conflicting or challenging for me along my pathway has only helped, this is just who I am as a person, has only helped to kind of help define, you know, I look back at some situations and I go, oh my gosh, that was just incredibly hard. I don't know, did that have to happen? And then I go, but this, I don't think I could see things this way if that hadn't happened. And maybe that's being idealistic, maybe. So I don't see them as things that I would do differently now. I mean, I guess that goes back to, do you regret anything in your life? And that's been something too, is just have that clean plate every day when you get to bed. You know, it's like, am I, do I feel okay with the decisions I made in the way that I approach certain things? And I mean, I'm always learning. It's a work in progress, right? And But um, I think that I, if there was anything about the way I've done my work or, and I would love to just say to people is just to enjoy, you know, for many years I didn't enjoy as much as I would have liked. I was very, very hard on myself. And I think to your comment about dancers, we are such a special community of people. What is required to show up when you try to dance? The mind-body connection is very rare. That, that It's not a demand, it's a... It's a, it's a it's a gift that when we really activate being fully a dancer there's so much so many delicious things to examine that mirror because we are our own instrument the feedback comes to us and so i think we have this wonderful moment to kind of not it's not about distancing but to ha- you know where is identity inside of all of that and so i think as far as leadership is concerned is that's where it all starts is how are we actually talking about feedback how are we giving people feedback as dancers and how is it when we're striving for excellence, and it's our own instrument, our body's our own instrument that's getting that, what are, what are, it kind of calls to action a more intense and refined idea of how to, to, to give feedback. Because we're not looking at a canvas, and we're not listening to a piece of, we're actually talking, I mean, you are the idea that's being translated. You're talking to another. You're, that dance cannot realize itself unless a human being actually activates the ideas. Right. So the and the, stays dynamic within. it. Yeah, and so every choreographer who has an idea, they need that 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 buy-in. They need that agreement from a dance artist to even start the idea. So right there, that contract in itself gives us a huge opportunity of how do you find agreement? You have to. It's like building these small community societies every time you make a piece. So it's. There's so much that we're doing that is effective, I think, to look at in the rest of the world, the way that we we connect with anything. I mean, I think we as dance, in dance, are examining so many things that we probably don't even realize because we're so busy making. But the way we're making is actually quite um, our adaptivity, our flexibility, our ability to just kind of reinvent all of the time or these are all cons aspects of i think great ideas ways of innovating i mean these are things attributes that you need to innovate i had the incredible pleasure of seeing ballet bc
0: last night open for at jacobs pillow Mm. and the program that you curated and Mm. brought to this festival was really powerful can you speak to the role of curating a full evening of not just your own work but choosing choreographers Mm. Being a choreographer is one hat, but being a curator is a different hat. And how do you reconcile these within your own work? Because you have your own work, and then you curate others. Yeah, it's a,
1: That's a great question, and it, I find all of those hats very fascinating and very different, but also related. And so with my, direct, um, with my position at Valley BC, I do have the pleasure of doing about one piece a year, so I'm not different to what is really taking... Um, I think the dance world, by, by storm in the sense, is our project-based companies that are led primarily by one person's work, and I think it's such a beautiful model. In Boutique world. brands. In, in North America, it's really, in, in a lot of places in the world, it's really where we are at right now in, in contemporary dance. But to be able to kind of to play in, a, in the curatorial um, kind of venue of a creation-based company that has multiple voices I personally just selfishly love it because I learn from every single choreographer that comes in because we are, in most cases, making the work that we are presenting. But we are also purchasing. But So one thing I always look at is just diversity of ideas, diversity of craft. Um, every person that comes through our doors, they care. They care deeply about, they have a unique voice. I mean, what is unique? Unique in the sense that they are so committed to what they're trying to do. And it's not Jordan about everything being a masterwork. I mean, we'd be debilitating our ability to make if that was our, what we- objective. Exactly. It's wonderful when a piece goes on and has a long life, but you and I both know that, you know, that's also requires where audiences are at. And there are beautiful pieces of work that only found their maybe more popular success, if that's even fair to say, after that person has departed, you know, the world. And some people, it's immediate. And so it's, it's already a success to open up the conversation. And then, and there's so many different layers. What happens for us in the studio first, how each creation or each project develops our practice and develops the artist within the studio, develops our organization. You know, every time we bring in a new choreographer, our staff, our audience, our board, everybody is... is Getting new ideas, getting a new perspective, and then when, when we work with that person again, of course it get in, it gets enhanced. but then there's this idea of creating a canon of work, and of course, being Canadian, that's the first set of eyes you know le- the first lens I put on, which is how is this participating in our national curation of dance, um, and what is it doing for our artists there in Canada? but then I think What's really has always been very important for me for BallyBC is that anything that we do with a national perspective and local, obviously, also needs to be a global conversation. To fairly be participating in our, our, our Canadian conversation, it needs to be also speaking internationally because there really are no boundaries or borders with art making. And so being able to tour now has been huge. But... But back to the curatorial question you had, I love putting programs together and I love the way they respond, how you put take an audience onto a journey. How from, you know, bedroom folk with Sharon Ayel to the end of Medievalsky's Petite Ceremony, you feel like you've had these three lives that have kind of everybody's kind of participated in. And if I've done my job well, I'm not we're not trying to tell people what to feel or think. We're opening up an experience for them, and then they tell us what it means for them. And And if we're really doing it well, then you know, hopefully it's planting some seeds or offering a, a perspective on things that are important to them at that moment in their in their lives. But it's really juicy, I find, curating programming. It's um, A lot of times when you're doing new work, you don't know what it's going to be. So then there's this entirely different thing too, which is how do you get people the to risk. Yeah, the, the risk. And what is risk? It's the risk, I think, to not try and it's a risk to try and so the one fascinating thing and i can say this in in canada we've been very lucky with our audience in vancouver we are in a 2700 seat theater so a large venue for contemporary dance and we have an audience jordan that comes when they don't because they want to see something new like a new work they're curious yeah they're curious and so they just come because they trust that anything we try to do is going to have what i believe when i hear their their comments a certain sense of integrity so whether it stays for a long time in the repertoire or not they're coming just to go on that journey with us and that's a great place to be with an audience where they're just sharing they're they're discussing the the programming and not opinionating always on the program it doesn't mean they don't have opinions you want them to but that's not at the forefront it's not about like or not like it's about what was going on in that work where i got that i didn't get that can you help me or this is what i saw you know and they're connecting with us and i learned so much from our audience but we've really been lucky in vancouver to be able to do what we're doing um there i will say that you
0: have uh, curated forty-five new works, and mm-hmm. just dropping this mm-hmm. statistic in your mm-hmm. ten-year tenure at LABC—it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of pieces, and I've go out on a limb, and right. I think there is probably not another co- company in North America, and maybe the world mm. that has this type of statistic of commitment to new work at this level. Mm. Of.
1: I think you might be right. I mean, I haven't done that research entirely, but I do know that we are definitely on the far end of of how much we've we have. How many new voices, because in a lot of cases, the people that have been working with us, we found new Canadian voices, but we've also introduced to Canadian audiences voices that have been established in other parts of the world, but have not been introduced to Canada. So we've been opening up these doors in so many different ways, but it has been um, an ambitious goal, and it was a very strategic one on my behalf, because I wanted to show from the very beginning of my tenure as artistic director to our audience Here's what's going on in the world of dance. Well, how does it make you feel? And from that information, I was able then to start to curate with them, for them, and through them, and and then you know move the company into you know international territory. So we touring has been a kind of a midway th- thing that has come in. Now I mean we're on tour this year for 13 weeks. Wow. The company, you know, 10 years ago maybe a week we did of tour. It was just not something that we had. And it wasn't because the company wasn't it's been around for almost thirty five years. The company was there before me and it will be there after I leave. But it's it's um, it's very special to see that there is a response happening not just around where just not, not just around where we live and also in Canada but also I mean to be here at the Jacobs Pebble is phenomenal. It's a, such a privilege.
0: You say that art making has no boundaries mm-hmm. and I agree with you but I also think art is supremely local mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. sense that you, you only affect the people who are right there with you in the present, yes. right? Yeah, it's very present, yeah. How does Ballet BC represent Vancouver?
1: I think by what we were just talking about in the sense that Vancouver is a place, has been a place for many years where people move to, I mean, there's obviously a huge, <laughs> huge <laughs> population of people that were born there, but it's... um. When I think of Vancouver, I think of people starting things, um, changing their lifestyles, opening up, slowing down, and trying new things. That's kind of, I mean, I think of that as in the West Coast. This kind of people often, you know, moved from the eastern part of, you know, North America, I think on both, both for United States and Canada, and they kind of were looking to kind of experiment with a different way of. Of, of use of time and space, and you know, first of all, let's just discuss the fact that we have the ocean there and the mountains, this beautiful land and the people and the indigenous peoples that are so presently involved um, and have been there before, for many <laughs> before many of us. Um, it is such a rich culture of diversities, and you really can, you really feel like you have the license. To create in Vancouver and that people acknowledge that and give you space to do it um, I just I feel like we've been able yeah we've been supported to take risk and I think people really um, enjoy the uh, contemporary sensibility so it's really it's been an, uh, a huge invitation to be able to make dance there.
0: I asked this question of people who are in positions similar to yours which is how is your organization working to ignite culturally underserved communities mm-hmm. or sectors in your own community? Mm-hmm. Because audience generation is par- paramount. Mm-hmm. Audience education is paramount to keeping this art form alive. And can you comment on something that BC is doing to, to ignite that? Yeah.
1: We are always uh, looking at how we can um, connect connect those conversations and how we how we are and how we can continue to enhance that. So some of the things, I mean, our outreach and educational programming is where of course we first start. We have a Dance Express program, which has been servicing or been, been developed in order to go to underprivileged youth. And right now I'm really happy to say that our primary focus is also working with underprivileged youth in schools that have a, a very strong um, indigenous, um, Student body, and so we are actually going into their schools and also bringing them into our studios and moving them, teaching them about creative movement, sharing with them creative movement, we're, and then having them share a conversation with our artists. Uh, we're really trying to help um, stimulate and inspire their own creative selves. So we also do kind of a multidisciplinary approach where we might mix mediums, you know, use text. Or dance or music so that they're really just exploring themselves first and foremost um, and I think you know that's one aspect I we're always trying I mean our audience right now is our demographic is anywhere from you know 12 year olds to 95 year olds and if you walk into one of our shows you'll see a lot of diversity uh, we're always trying to make it more accessible one we have a, a great um, Balcony program that's f- sponsored by one of our department stores, Simon's, where our tickets are only fifteen dollars. So we're really trying to Incredible. Uh, get as many people into the theater as possible, um, so that that's not a block. And also, we work on thing with people. Uh, organizations such as Kids Up Front which will actually donate tickets to children and their families to be able to come so and there's more and more and more I mean we could keep talking but we're always looking for how um, we can find new ways to connect with our communities and one thing where are excited about next season is potentially doing a residency at the Yukon Arts Center which is up north and going into schools and also the dance community there through the Arts Center and just sharing practice So it's not even about us performing, but just going in and learning from them and sharing what we do.
0: Last night, I had this distinct feeling Mm. that I was viewing history Mm. in the sense that we all have ideas about leaders in this field, leading companies, leading directors, leading choreographers. I think people at the top have a responsibility to guide the art form in specific directions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Last night in your performance, I felt like I was looking at potentially the strongest group of contemporary movers in a rep company model setting that I've seen in North America in a long time.
1: Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for that.
0: And I say that because with that distinction also comes a lot of responsibility, Mm -hmm. I guess to transition into a question, we talk about the responsibilities of these institutions at the top, and I wonder if you think Ballet BC has a diversity issue.
1: A diversity issue as far as who's on stage? Yes. I think I'd like, I would speak to that first by how I hire people. So, what's really important to me, Jordan, is that no person with talent is over or underlooked for any reason. And when I, we have many people that audition and the criteria for the company is quite specific. It's a small company. So we're looking for people who have, and also because we kind of traverse this kind of ballet contemporary dance. So we're looking for people who first start with ballet but then have this incredible ability to be contemporary movers and that is um, sometimes trickier because one, often people will focus on one direction or the other. And because we're a small group and people, there's really not a layer where you're in training. We have an emerging platform, but in most cases, everybody's out there right away. So we don't have that you know, kind of you know, two or three years. We're kind of on this side of the bridge. 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 Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, we obviously do work with our emerging artists in that way. But the reason I bring that up is in the sense that we're a very small, resilient group and everybody gets involved right away so it does take a certain amount of stamina and curiosity and openness to be in the company mentally but then there's also this rigor with the training that is required and we also work very closely with our um our official training institution arts umbrella so what i go for first is this component of who is the person generous are they curious do they have the training and it starts to and then also women still can they dance on point? Because sometimes we still do that. So you start to get to this very small little window of like people who also want to do new work primarily, who want to work, you know, the way we work, which is really deeply and we investigate and all that. So I, it's a very specialized group that comes to the table. Um, and I'm very proud of the dancers that we have. I mean, next year, if we, we have a, 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 quite a, we have a turnover coming that it's um, really wonderful. We have a lovely man coming from Brazil We have um, some dancers coming from um, uh, Arts Umbrella, but also from uh, Juilliard, from Purchase, from um, also Marymount. I don't think there is the diversity, if one is only looking, I see diversity in so many different ways. I see it in the way that the person thinks about life. I see it in the way that someone represents themselves. I mean, we have a lot of work that, in some ways, is very androgynous. So if we're talking about gender, I think we have a very flexible platform. We have a lovely uh, intern that's working with us next year who does a lot of work around gender, gender issues, and his um, he's a freelance artist in Vancouver, and he'll be connecting with us. He was working with us a little bit this year, but we'll also... So I think we're very open to all of those things. I think. Primarily, I don't see that as something that needs a box that should be checked. I think it has to be very, very carefully curated. Who are the people that come into the room? And absolutely diversity of cultures, of gender, of um, training, of, of styles of dance. Like all of those things are things that I'm trying to look at. And so I don't, I don't believe we have one, but that you'd have to also ask other people what their thoughts are about that. But it is something absolutely that takes up a lot of my headspace. It's is just you know are we also creating enough of a diversity platform in the way we're making work you know are we is our practice diverse enough is our comment on stage and what we're talking about diverse enough are our dancers just you know culturally diverse enough are, are we attending to gender diversity you know all of those things in our staff and our board and it's it's absolutely one of the key questions today that but I think to just do it, I think it's how we do, how we actually answer that question is the sensitivity to which we do, I
0: think. I regret describing it as a problem right. because I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't identify it as a problem. I would just consider it a discussion that always needs to be present. Yes. Right? yes.
1: I mean right now, yeah. We certainly we have two African American dancers, and we have um, a, a dancer from Canada who's comes from Colombia, from the roots of Colombia. So, I mean, and next year we're going to have even more. So, it's it's if that's one way that people are looking at the company. But I, again, I'd say that that's putting diversity into a box. It's also absolutely that's tricky, but. Um,
0: I recently heard that you participated in a Forsyth Descendant evening. There was an evening of work presented where your work was presented, Crystal's work was presented, and it was billed as a Forsyth Descendant evening. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm mistaken, and please correct it was, me.
1: It was a performance that we did at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Yeah. yeah. After,
0: oh, just recently, mm-hmm. last week. It mm-hmm. was just this week, exactly. last week, uh, yeah. am I think it's an, first of all, it's an honor mm-hmm. to, to be billed in such acclaim with mm. a pioneer like William Forsyth. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it does an injustice mm. to your work, which I saw last night, which was incredible, and also to Crystal's work, mm. and also to the, the myriad of other ch- the choreographers that have come from Forsyth. Mm. Um, we don't say things like, well, Taylor is just a descendant of Graham, and you know, Balanchine is just a descendant of Diaghilev. We don't say these things. I have to reconsider that thought.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Can you comment on that at all?
1: Well, maybe I would start by saying it's it's been a privilege. I met Bill Forsythe when I was sixteen, and he's been a part of my life for many years, uh, a great mentor of mine. So, you know, my first relationship that comment is just gratitude that I I had one of the best teachers you can have. <laughs> yeah. But I do think it's a tricky—it's a tricky slope to put people. I to to I, I think it's like so many things in life. Jordan, we all learn if we're keeping our eyes open. We're all learning from the past as we move forward into the future. So anywhere, I think you can connect a lineage to some someone's lineage to something else. It, and and there's there will be respect or you know uh, association. And I think that's that's an important thing. So I don't think we. I don't think it's important to deny that. I think it's how we hold it. And, you know, when I think of Crystal, she is uh, an incredibly gifted and um, developed artist, and she would probably be the first person to say also, you know, she was, uh, her gratitude for Bill's work. But she is very much her own artist. Uh, And so I think the artists themselves might not be holding on to that so much, but I think it's how we... I think it may be if I look a little bit further into that, it's just our need to put things in boxes, you know. And maybe that's. Um, I think we can we can make that comparison in the sense that it helps us have a conversation around uh, practice, craft, but not. But also, I think it's important that we actually look at someone's work with openly and without assumption. And so if someone didn't know that Crystal had worked for William Forsythe, would they see her work differently? And if we could see things first with that and then make that other connection, I think that would be a... I think the connection itself is not dangerous, it's what we do with it if that makes sense, Jordan, and I yeah. think... And this is a hypothetical, really a hypothetical, because yeah. it is a complete honour, I'm, not, I'm yeah. not... And I think, you know, Joe Melillo's, you know, point of putting us together was a real honour, you know, one of his last curations in BAM, and to say, here's this foresight legacy, and I mean, it is true, and it would be not fair and almost... Um, Inconsiderate of yeah. us to not look at the dance world. I mean, you think about what Stuttgart Ballet with Cranko I mean, Yuri Killey and William Forsyth. I mean, this this legacy of choreographers that came out of that era of time. And you look at what Bill Forsyth did with Frankfurt Ballet and the way he established his company and the way he drew people together and creatively sourced ideas. It is not a wonder that so many people left that company wanting to make or still be involved in the art form some way in a leadership role, it's because of Bill's ability to just stimulate um, uh, people's creative development. And I think we, that's important to acknowledge. And it's important historically to say this period of time then fed off into this as such. I mean, if you see, yeah, the step after Balanchine, I mean, Bill was influenced by Balanchine. So, I mean, there's so many, that's, those are wonderful stories to look at. Um, as long as they don't oppress someone's ability to to create.
0: I think just because of the disproportionate amount of women choreographers Mm -hmm. in the field Mm -hmm. in general, I only ask that question to tease out some of the dynamics of why a blanket statement like that could sometimes be less effective than more effective. yeah, Potentially.
1: I mean, the ballet world, I think... There's room for us to improve on female voices. I think in the contemporary dance world. I mean, we don't have well, You can look around every corner, and there's so many. There's so many of companies' uh, legacies of work that are, are female driven. I mean, we are ironically a female driven art form. Yeah. So I think, but you know, in Canada, our ballet companies were founded by women. Our schools. So, I I take that comment with a grain of salt. But I do I do think that what's super important is that. People who have a, a desire to create, that leadership is supported on so many different levels throughout the profession, for men and for women, and that it's not driven more in one direction or the other, and that it's also not forced. If someone doesn't want to become a choreographer after they dance, that's not a problem, but if they want to go into the artistic administrative aspect of it, great. As long as we're saying, here are some, if you're curious, we're going to help take you to the next step. And organizations and leaders, I think, who have a platform, we need to make sure that we're exercising those and giving them as much support as possible.
0: Two final questions. Do you have a social justice issue that you're passionate about? I mean, so many people have so many, but is there one in particular that you find it's extremely personal or pertinent to you and the company?
1: Oh, that's, that's quite a... It's a hm
0: Aside from just advocation for the arts, which is inherent in what you do. Yeah,
1: that's that that's a given. But I think it's when you really I've always felt that dance for me, again, I go back to what I said before, it's about human potential and that dance just happens to be the vehicle. I mean I love dance. Please do not misunderstand what I'm saying here. But I think there was a period in my life where I saw incredibly gifted people falling through the cracks. I walk down streets, and we live in a part of the world where it's very a very temperate climate, so people can live on the streets, the poverty issue. People that have no homes, who have not had education, not because they're not capable. I have a, For me, deeply, I am saddened by the lack of possibility that some people get, and um, for no other reason than just timing, like that their lives just didn't. And how can we create more equality and how and i just that kind of where does that start from and how do we as human beings you know you know i see people walking down that street with me who walk right past those human like these are human beings who are like these are these are us and that could be any of us and a lot of times that person didn't didn't choose that it chose them and for uh, for a number of reasons and it's not for me to to, to to know, but I mean, not to, to me, to assume, but I think the biggest thing is, at, if I, if I did have, it's making sure that every person has the support in whatever way they need. That there's nothing, and I think it begins with education and with making sure that education and health, uh, you know, proper health care. Is and this is why I feel very proud to live in the country that I live in, in Canada, where we do have a you system of government that we prioritize, prioritize that and and that with that opportunity that it's accessible and that um, and that we continue to look. I think we're living in a very interesting time where you know so much is asking us to remove ourselves from the accountability of being human, and I think. It's exactly the time where we need to be joining um, with each other as, as a community, local, inter- global I mean, we are, by nature, a completely local community <laughs> internationally. So to imagine that something happening to, uh, you know, happening you know, across the world is not gonna reach us is, we don't live in, we, that's, that's gone. Everything that happens anywhere is somewhere something that we need to be aware of. And borderline and, complicit in if we allow it to happen. Yeah, and it, I think I just, there's so many, um, and also with that idea of equity is, um, you know, we've hinted on this, is that that diversity that everyone feels that, you know, as a woman in my profession, I've never... Presented myself first and foremost as a woman. I've just been doing what I believe in doing and I don't think it should be being a male being a man or a woman or however you um, Self-identify. I don't think there is anything if you care and want to do something you should be able to be to be able to try Right, um, and that's what's important to me that kind of um, humanism of the of the idea of, of our society and so I uh, But for me, it starts very, very immediately with where are people living? Do they have food on their tables? And can they actually open up a book and feel like they they can teach themselves, even if they don't, But you know, that they have that that base uh, foundational education that they can learn? Because I think if I look at my own life, the things that kept moving me forward to keep trying to live, to not cash out of life, was the desire to want to learn. And so I think education is, you know, and then of course you need your health in order to just keep keep continuing that. But um, sometimes there's people don't have the opportunity because they just um, they don't ha- they can't make a choice because they haven't had the opportunity. They haven't had the, the, the possibility. Yeah. Um,
0: Final question: is mm-hmm. we do this segment called Twirl Talk, okay. And Twirl Talk <laughs> is like girl talk. Okay. We talk about people we have crushes on. Oh, I see.
1: Okay. And
0: by crush, I just mean we identify an artist in our field or outside of our field mm. that has been inspiring us lately that deserves a shout-out of this type of twirl tuck
1: crushiness.
0: Oh, oh my God. And it's, everybody always says, I have so many. But I also think people
1: know pretty quickly that there are some strong identifiable ones. Mm. Well, I'll just say right now, because I'm on site at Jacob's Pillow, is that Michaela is stunning and i'm just i was just introduced to her work um about half a year ago and i'm super excited to see her company on friday and uh i've heard nothing but great things so i um that's you know and that's that's the joy of like where you see that that next voice and that kind of curiosity it's just really really wonderful but I also work at BAM Center for Arts and Creativity, and there are like phenomenal artists that keep coming through there. But you'd like me to be more. There's a man that I, I think is just a beautiful maker, and I curated his work at BAM Center for Arts and Creativity, and his name is Alain Lucien Oyen. He runs Winter Guests. He's a beautiful storyteller, he's a beautiful person, and he has such a deep sense of. Just for the audience, music. say the name one more time a little bit. Al- Lucien Oyen and he is the artistic director of winter guests he just did a work for the Pina Bausch company and he's such a kind person and his work is so generous it's very you know he just he's a wonderful storyteller mm-hmm. and I'm very I'm very excited to see where he's going to go and he's just his humility his attention to his craft his curiosity of his craft I mean I just think, he's a, a really special artist. I agree. Uh, and you. there are many others. I mean, this is a really hard question, Jordan, because I feel like <laughs> when we have, I just, selfishly, I, need, I feel like in Canada, there's just so many that we um, that we have right now that are doing such fascinating things. So it's happening everywhere in yeah. the
0: well, I think you're doing fascinating things. Thank you so much for being on my podcast here at The Pillow. It feels incredible. Thank you, <laughs> And congratulations on your show, sincerely. <laughs> you.